Let's all stand together at this time tonight as we reverence reading God's Word. We could be looking in Colossians chapter 1, message I call Reconciled, Reconciled with God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled, or yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. This morning we spoke for a few minutes about being reconciled with one another. And as I was studying on that and thinking tonight, this week about tonight's message, I began to expand my thinking, and uh, I thought about it would be a good time for us to talk about being reconciled to God. And uh, the Bible has much to say about this. I'm not going to get to all of it tonight, but we'll see a big part of it because this is a great passage in Colossians chapter 1 about how we are reconciled to God. Back before we had online access to our bank accounts at all times, checking accounts, we received a bank statement once a month. It showed us all of our activity. Back in those days, I wrote checks. And then you had to get your bank statement once a month. And then you would reconcile, reconcile. Uh, this uh, ledger that you had in your checkbook with the bank statement. And if it all worked out to the penny, uh, no guesswork, it had to be right. And it all worked out to the penny, then you had reconciled your account. Now, some of you are looking at me kind of funny because y'all do that every month to this day. And I, I understand that. I understand that. It's just... Uh, others of us have moved on from that a little bit. Uh, we just see our bank balance all the time, anytime, uh, 40 times a day if we want to. Pull it up right there on our phone. Boom, there it is. How much I got? There it is. And you just kind of have to keep track now. No, I've spent some more money and that doesn't show up yet. And every now and then, you know, you kind of check it out a little. But um, reconciliation by its very definition, you see, refers to bringing things into a state of harmony. Bringing things into a state of harmony. In our bank balance, it means that our bank says we have a certain amount of money. And we can determine then that our records are in harmony with theirs. They say we have this much. I say I have this much. We are in harmony one with another. We have reconciled. In a spiritual realm, reconciliation means that we've been brought to a state of harmony with God. So that we are at peace with Him. Oh, it is no small thing to live in a state of harmony with Almighty God. Reconciled to God. As our text begins to consider this reconciliation with God, it defines it, first of all, preeminently. Verse 20, it speaks of how, him, how we have by Him reconciled all things 
unto himself. And this speaks to us of the work of Jesus Christ to reconcile all things, all things. Because you see, the whole creation was subject unto corruption and bondage. In Romans chapter 8, Paul would famously describe this bondage within the imagery of a, a woman giving birth to a child. And how that the creation then was writhing and anguishing in labor pains, in pain. And it was going to give birth someday. And what that birth was speaking of was the, the time when it would be delivered from that bondage of corruption. But now the whole creation has been subjected unto futility, the Bible says. When man sinned, all the creation was subjected to it. Remember that God said to Adam when he sinned, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. We could say that, Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. But now God said that same creation is going to be reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. So where the creation was cursed, subject to futility because of man's sin, now because of the work of Jesus Christ, all things, the whole creation is going to be reconciled to God. In a practical way, that means that we don't have to save the planet. Because number one, we can't save it. <laughs> and number two, Jesus is going to do it for us. You see, this whole issue of uh, reconciliation doesn't just affect humanity, but all things, all things, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. But the text doesn't just leave this in this cosmic or preeminent discussion because it is also very personal. You'll notice in verse 20, 21 it says, and you, and you. You see, it's one thing and a very important thing to notice that God is going to reconcile the whole creation unto himself by Jesus Christ. That's an important thing. It's one thing to notice. It is a very, very significant thing. But ultimately, it's going to come down to us. What about me, we might say? What about us? I understand why people who live with no thought of eternity, with no acknowledgement of God in their life, they don't understand who God is. They may think they do, but if they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't know God. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they have a false image of God. They're worshiping a false God. They're worshiping a God of their own making because the only way you can know God is through Jesus Christ. Understand then why people who live with no thought of eternity, no understanding of God and no relationship with God, and they're constantly then watching all the wreckage and ruin and the carnage of an earth that is headed full steam toward destruction. I understand why these people take this so personally. It has to be personal. I mean, after all... We, if this planet is wrecked and I've only got one life and I can only live it on this planet and this planet is wrecked, where does that, where does that leave me? We understand 
why so many of these people are so passionate about looking at everything that's wrong. And they take it so personally. After all, we can't live without the earth. We've got to correct all of this somehow. I can understand it because, you see, when we think about this whole issue of reconciliation, we understand that God is going to reconcile all things unto himself. That's a great and glorious thing. The whole creation is going to be reconciled to God. But we, too, are going to ask that question. What about us? What about humanity? Does this involve me? Well, the answer to how the reconciliation affects humanity is a bit more complicated than how this reconciliation affects the whole creation. It's more complicated, you see, because the earth had no choice. The universe had no choice in its corruption. It didn't have any say in it. it didn't get a vote. It had no voice. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Not willingly. But because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see what Paul calls the all things that are going to be reconciled to Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, he speaks of as the whole creation or the creation in Romans chapter 8. The creation had no choice, you see, in its corruption. And the creation is not going to have any choice in its reconciliation. Didn't have anything to do with it. It's going to happen. It was subjected to futility. It is going to be delivered through the work of Jesus Christ. Adam's sin plunged it into futility. The righteousness of the second Adam, your Savior and mine, Jesus Christ, is going to bring about its reconciliation. But the creation has no say in any of that. It has nothing. Nothing. But it's different for humanity. We might say, well, all men are, are born into sin, and that's true. We are. We're born with a sin nature. We may look at those little perfect little babies and think they're sinless. Oh, no, they're not, and they'll show you before too long. It won't be long until they'll show you. Uh, you don't teach them how to sin. That's uh, right there in them. The Bible puts it this way, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. David said, behold, I was uh, born in sin and I was shapen in iniquity. We are all born with that sin nature. That is true. And yet it is also true that while we have a nature to sin, we also choose to sin. In our own way, we have all verified Adam's choice. We might think. Man, if I'd have been there, I don't believe I would have eaten that fruit. That is not what your history or mine says. You see, we've all chosen to sin. We're not just sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. We're not just sinners by nature, but we are also sinners by choice. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. 
So you see where creation really didn't have any choice about being subject to futility. It was. It didn't have anything to do with it. It was subject to futility, not willingly. It was subject to futility because of man's sin. And it's going to be subject then to God's reconciliation through Jesus Christ. It really didn't have any saying about it. But us, humanity is more complicated because we have chosen to sin. And unfortunately, many choose to continue in sin and they choose to reject Jesus Christ but the Bible says Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ so that with humanity it's it's different you see, the creation had, had no choice on either side of that thing. But that's not so of us. It's more complex, you see, for us. Because if we're going to be reconciled to God, listen to me. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is presented to us over and over and over in Scripture, just like it is in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. We are justified by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. The Bible says it over and over and over and over again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Paul had said it earlier in this very chapter, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, as you have received Christ Jesus. I remind you that John told us that as many as received him, Jesus came unto his own, he said, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then that's how reconciliation, you see, becomes personal. There's a preeminent concept of reconciliation. To reconcile all things. But thank God the text doesn't just stop there. He goes on to talk about how you too, you and I, and you and me, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Colossians 1.21, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through dead, death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. This personal reconciliation then plays out in our text in three ways. As he talks about how this reconciliation is going to take place. He reminds us of our past. If you wanted to call it the past of our reconciliation. That would be good. There was a, a time before we were reconciled. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You see, when God begins to prepare us for a new future, he also often does that by reminding us of where we were. We were alienated and enemies. We were separated from God and estranged from God. We still would be 
We still would be. We had no relationship, no fellowship, no intimacy, no true knowledge of God existed in us. We were on one side and God was on the other. We were alienated and enemies. But then notice how it progresses. He says you were alienated and enemies in your mind and in your works. Both of them were true. In your mind. Because that is where those decisions are made to go against God and to go against God's truth. It's in our mind that we hear about the gospel. It is in our mind that we know about the salvation that's available to us. It's in our mind then where people who are at enmity with God make that decision to reject Jesus Christ. But wherever that rejection of God happens in our mind... It always shows up in our works. You see, we don't just consider things and maybe reject that and then say, well, I'm, I'm no worse off now than I was before. No, <laughs> no, you are. Your heart is harder than it was before. Your mind has a more fervent resolve than it did before. You're further away from God than you were before, and you will go further away from Him in your works. It's also true for God's people, even though we're saved. When we say no to God in any area of our life, we can be sure that our works will be quick to follow. Wherever the mind leads, our works will follow. But what an amazing truth to ponder. Oh, what wonder. Jesus came to us in our alienation, in our enmity, in our minds set against him, and our actions moving away from him. And through the proclamation of the gospel and the conviction of the Spirit, we were saved. We were reconciled to God. We believed on him. We were justified by faith, and we are at peace with him. All of those things are true because we received Jesus Christ. Our past then, before we were reconciled. Consider where we were. Dottie Rambo used to sing, Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Every now and then, we need to pull the curtains of our memory back and just think. I was an alien. I was an enemy of God. In my mind and in my works, I was going away from Him. And every way that it was possible for a person to be alienated from God, I was alienated from God. Oh, but now I've been reconciled. How does such a thing happen? Well... That's what he tells us next. After we are called upon to think about our past, the past, you might say, before we were reconciled. Now notice the place where we were reconciled. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh. In the body of his flesh. Paul began this section of Scripture by reminding us that it pleased God that in Him that's in Jesus Christ all fullness should dwell. All the fullness of God dwelled bodily in Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that Paul would say great is the mystery of godliness. 
And then the very first thing that he would describe as being the mystery of godliness was that God was manifested in the flesh. We preached about this, studied about it, taught about it, believed it for so long. I think we're in danger of having lost the incredible nature of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, John, John hadn't got under, over the wonder of it. He was an old man. He is still amazed. Behold, he would say, what manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Still amazed, that old man. After all those years of preaching it and teaching it, still amazed. God help us if we ever lose really the wonder of the fact that God became a man, that he was compacted, compacted the span of a virgin's womb. He was born of a baby, as, as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. We ponder then the fact that being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. You see, it, it wasn't his incarnation that brought about our reconciliation. No, it wasn't his birth, as miraculous as it was. No, no, it wasn't that. All the angels sang at his birth and sang peace. Peace on earth declared, peace on earth. Yeah, but uh, it didn't make peace happen, did it? Mm -mm. God became a man. It was there in his body. In his body. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was the only way. That a holy God. Could be reconciled to a sinful humanity. But it's not just the place. But it's also the price. You see in the body of his flesh. Through death. Through death. Paul would say that in our text in verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. His life was essential. His virgin birth was essential. His sinless life. It was through his virgin birth and his virtuous life. That he could die vicariously then for the sins of humanity. So there we were in our alienation. In our hostility. In our enmity. In our mind. And in our works. Not just in our thoughts. But in our actions. The place then in his body. The price through his death. Even Paul said the death of the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to talk about the purpose of all this. The past, the place, the past. You were alienated and enemies in your mind and in your works. The place in his body. The price through death. Why? What's the purpose of all this? Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. You see, we were reconciled to God 
so that we could be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So that Paul moves beyond our salvation and our reconciliation to God and moves on then to our sanctification. He would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, and this is the will of God, even your sanctification. You see, the purpose of our salvation is eternal life, but eternal life certainly involves and includes heaven, but it also involves and includes now. Eternal life has more to do, as much to do at least, with the quality of life as with the quantity of life. And so it's not just about, yeah, I'm going to die and go to heaven someday. and I'll live there for all eternity. I want you to know Jesus Christ has saved you right now. You're reconciled to God right now. And the purpose of this includes the right now. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14 says that by one offering, by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So that while we are perfected forever by the offering of Jesus Christ, we are still being sanctified. This is not a contradiction. Salvation is a once-for-all experience. Sanctification is ongoing. And so the passage gives us critical information about this, the will of God for us. There's a prerequisite then. How can this happen? First of all, he says, if you continue in the faith. Now, Paul's not talking about uh, our salvation, but sanctification. The faith then speaks of the whole of our Christian experience. It includes the plan of salvation as it does the plan of sanctification. This is God's will for us. You know as well as I do, some people continue in the faith. Others depart from the faith. Jude told us to contend earnestly for the faith that is once delivered unto the saints. And it includes the doctrines of the word of God. But it also is our beliefs and our behavior that together are called the faith. We're called then and we are reconciled to God then. So that, so that we can be presented holy or blameless, without reproof in the sight of God. Not only because of our salvation, but by our sanctification. And then he speaks of all things, of the pastoral role, as he sums up in verse 23. Whereof I was made a minister, or for this cause, I was made a minister. Now, Paul has a responsibility And he's spoken to them of the prerequisite, and that is uh, that they continue on in the faith. But now he speaks of this pastoral aspect. This is why I'm here. If we ask what is the job of a pastor, then here it is. It is the job of a pastor, first of all, to present the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when people are saved, our job is not done. Our job has just begun. Then it is to see to it that you continue on in the faith, that you grow in the faith, that your beliefs then and behavior continue to move forward in the cause of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be held accountable by God based on the sanctification of our people. Paul would tell the elders of the church in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves 
and to all the flock. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. You don't see the word pastor in that passage in English. But it's there in Greek. The word is shepherd. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 it is translated feed. It's the verb form of the word pastor. Or you are a pastor. That's a noun normally. But when pastor is used as a verb, it's shepherd. You feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Why? Because it's critical that people come to know Jesus Christ and then they grow in the knowledge of truth. They grow in their understanding of what God has revealed to us so that in our then our beliefs and our behavior we become more like Jesus Christ. I hear a lot of people these days, some of them even pastors, talk about, well, we're only concerned about winning people to Christ. We're only concerned with people seeing, saved, seeing people saved. They talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. I hear that a lot. And usually they're talking about seeing people saved. I understand their thinking. But they, they need to take a long look at Colossians 1. Because Colossians 1 tells us that the whole purpose of our reconciliation to God was so that we might be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight because we've continued in the faith, grounded and settled. What a great passage. It reminds me what my work is. It reminds all of you of why God has done what he's done for us. Not just to bring us to heaven someday, but to change our life right now. I hope all of you tonight could take a little walk down memory lane. Like Dottie Rambo said, roll back the curtains of memory. And look back at where you were before you knew Jesus Christ. Look back at where you could have been had God not reconciled you unto himself? Had he not brought into your life a, 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 a good solid church, a good people, not just a pastor, but Sunday school teachers and youth workers and youth pastors and MBSF directors and many, many other people that God brought into your life, your parents, of course, and all of those people pouring the truth of God into you. And it's changed you. I'm not telling you tonight that you're perfect. I don't make that claim for myself either. But I think we can all see that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God has had a profound effect on us. And I got some good news for you tonight. And I'm going to say this in my good old South Arkansas way. You ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, he has changed you. He's worked in you. Oh, yeah. But there's more to come. And all that's available to you reconcile. Paul would speak to the church at Corinth. And he would say, we plead then. We plead with you. We plead on Christ's behalf. Because we are ambassadors for Christ. 
We plead with you in his stead. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. I plead with you tonight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can be saved. And don't put a period on it. Say, well, I've checked that box. That's a period. I'm done. No, no. You've just begun. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let's stand together, please.